it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. The family voted yesterday in the advanced polls. All but me, because I don't get to do anything. Except this crummy intro. In the newsroom, Ted, Diana, and Lisa will on the board hear Scott Thompson! Good afternoon, it is 3.09. I'm Scott Thompson, it is Hamilton Today, and joining us, Ted, Diana, and Will. And uh, Diana Weeks, of course, joins us, who was on holidays last week when we debuted... uh, 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 Hamilton today. So welcome, uh, Diana. Good to have you here. Thank you so much. Yeah, good to be here. Now, when did you first become interested in football? Diana, was this like a lifelong thing for you? No, no. I became interested in football through my husband, Matty, who, uh, ah, as I mentioned, yeah, he runs he's, the... He's a football freak, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So if you if you didn't have a love for football, would you and your husband ever been married? <laughs> I think so. We've got a lot of other interests. We're, we're good. We're good. But it definitely would make our household a little bit more, you know. Uh, it's a little bit more compatible now. Everybody gets along. And you know what? When everybody's wearing the same colors, I guess that helps too, right? Exactly. All right. All right. Uh, so, uh, again, football fans, Ted not so happy today. He didn't have such a great uh, uh, game yesterday, but we'll move on from that. All right. Poll question of the day uh, from Friday. Uh, did the debate solidify your election vote? 60% said no. The poll question of the day for today, should safe zones be set up around hospitals? This is absolutely bizarre, you know. Remember at the beginning of the pandemic when people would actually go out onto their uh, balconies and front porches and stuff and bang pots and pans in order to support our healthcare workers? And now we got like a few uh, radicals from the extremes on both sides, I might add, uh, protesting. Like, why hospitals? You know, I heard a clip earlier today that, you know, they want to get in and and prove that that uh, that COVID-19 just does not not exist. Like, what the heck is going on here? And, And again, what happened? From point A to point B, where we go from, uh, you know, praising our healthcare workers and everyone on the front line and banging pots and pans to protests outside of hospitals of all places, like hospitals of all places. That's what we have parliament for. That's what we have a house of commons for. That's why we have, uh, city halls and, and, and civic places of such. It's to demonstrate like that, not places who are trying to get the sick in and out and and better and such my goodness it's just it's bizarre where uh we have become on or we have where we have come to on this uh and again last week of uh an election campaign and i'm sure that has an awful lot to do with all of this uh that being said voted yesterday uh in the election uh in the advance polls another uh advance polling day is today uh this is the last one you've got until uh, nine o'clock tonight to find the location near you the first thing i noticed was not as many polling places as there was in in previous elections normally we just walk to the local school the local library now you got to get in the car and drive to an arena or some sort of civic center or what have you and you have to wonder how that is going to affect all of this uh, in the vote. So all stories we're watching throughout the course of the afternoon. Coming up, uh, some sad news. And, you know, like uh, the kids heading back to school, university, how safe are your kids in campus, on campus rather? And I'm not talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about predatory males. We'll have that discussion uh, moments from now. 
All right, a different issue coming out of the first uh, week of university for, um, for I'm sure, lots of universities across the country, but specifically uh, lots of allegations coming out of Western University this past week. Western is investigating multiple reports of sexual violence, uh, which are alleged to have happened this weekend as Orientation Week uh, wound down. Uh, they've taken immediately ste- immediate steps to ensure student safety, including an increased presence of special constables on campus and an increased presence of staff and security in all residents, said uh, one of Western's vice presidents in a statement. Students have taken to social media uh, to talk about this tragedy. Uh, I heard it through my daughter, who's also a university student, although not at this school. Uh, this is certainly making a, a, a lot of rounds, and uh, and the allegations at this point are quite serious, and they seem to be multiple, but that's all we we really know. Uh, let's bring in Sawyer Bogdan, uh, global news reporter with 980 CFPL in London and is with us now. Sawyer, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me. Give us an update here. Uh, what have you been hearing? What's going on? Because it, it's, it seems that there's allegations, but have, have there been any uh, charges or, or any sort of reports filed? So there haven't been any charges uh, at this time. Um, it seems like the university yesterday put out a statement after a bunch of social media posts regarding the incident were made, and that's sort of what has triggered an investigation. Right now, um, they have uh, Western's Associate Vice President of Housing and Auxiliary Services, Chris Allen, has said they're aware of the posts online. They've received very little information related to these reports. And we're asking anyone with details to come forward to Western or to the police. They have received four formal complaints of sexual violence from students over the past week, but they don't believe those incidents are related to this one. Um, so right now, it's a lot of um, hearsay. We did speak to students on campus, and they uh, shared their opinions and also what they had heard. But right now, there's nothing any formal or concrete. So this seems to be something more that has uh, established itself on social media, uh, but it, it appears there was a series of these alleged situations. Yeah, so basically um, from an internal memo that was sent to students as well, it appears the incidents are related to Western's two residencies, uh, Sydenham Hall and Medway Hall. Um, some students we spoke to who live in the residencies kind of confirmed that they that's what they had heard as well um they all received an internal memo that that's where the alleged incident happened um one girl we spoke to said that um she had heard from people that it was up to 30 girls that may had um consumed something that could have had a date rate drug date rate drug in it and that um there also was allegations of rape in a couple of instances that's what students have been hearing um and that's sort of what's been circulating in line and what's prompted the university to investigate uh so there has been uh, accusations you've heard accusations allegedly of drugging uh girls as well that's what's been circulating online um and that's what students um told us they had heard um, none of it's being confirmed, and I, I don't know to what extent uh, London police are involved because they hadn't been informed of the incident at least a day ago when things started circulating. Um, but that that seems to be what we're hearing. And the girl we spoke to also said that she had kind of it was she knew people on her floor that 
um, may have been throwing up after the incident, be that alcohol or be that um, related to consuming things. She also kind of made some... Uh, com- she she seemed to have see- had firsthand accounts and seen the effects that this could have had on some girls who were at the party. And at this point, Sawyer, we it doesn't appear that any police haven't been brought into this matter at all at this point. Is that accurate? Um, that's our understanding right now. It seems the university is still trying to gather statements um, from people that this happened to. And go from there, we don't know. I think um, police have been made apprised of what's happening, but we don't know to what extent they're involved in it yet because it seems like this is still very much in the early stages and the university is still trying to piece this together. It's something that sort of started spreading online, and now it's a matter of getting to the actual people who have been um, impacted by this and looking into it from there, but it's still very early stages. And what is the message from uh, messaging from Western, from the university at this point? Uh, that they're investigating. There are resources available for students who have been impacted. I know ANOVA, the um, women's shelter uh, in London, has also said that they can provide some resources for girls who have experienced sexual assault. Um, so that's what we're hearing, but they're not giving too many details as to what's happened and how things are going. Hmm. Uh, Sawyer Bogdan with us, Global News reporter, 980 CFPL in London. Allegations at this point uh, and still under investigations of multiple reports of sexual violence still alleged at this time. Uh, Sawyer, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks for having me. You know, this is frightening when you think about it. I mean, you know, I'm a dad, a second-year university student, didn't go last year, up there this year. And, you know, we started hearing stuff about this uh, earlier on in the weekend. And, again, her friends through social media, she's obviously got lots of friends at uh, at Western, although she doesn't attend that school. And um, and through the course of the weekend, it just it seemed to, to steamroll this story. And uh, it looks like, uh, at least in a couple of situations, uh, it appears, allegedly, uh, that there was some sort of date rape drugs uh, being used. This is under investigation by the university, and uh, the police at this point, from what we understand, uh, have not laid any charges. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, top issues of the day that we're looking at, and uh, advanced polls. Here's something to remember. Advanced polls close today. So uh, if you want to get out and, uh, and, and before uh, Election Day, coming up September 20th, and cast your ballot you have got until nine o'clock tonight today is the last uh, day of the advance poll so keep that in mind uh, obviously uh, things getting a little hairy around the election campaign uh, really started to uh, heat up today uh, in a sense uh, things uh, I, I guess it's been um, kind of dull to this point and then today it appears that uh, that uh, things are getting a little bit more heated going to play a clip of conservative leader Aaron O'Toole on the campaign trail today uh, and had a little different take on the Prime Minister than he has in the past. Listen. Every Canadian has met a Justin Trudeau in their lives. Privileged, entitled, and always looking out for number one. He was looking out for number one when he called this expensive and unnecessarily unnecessary election in the middle of a pandemic. A $600 million power grab. An election that has done nothing to stop the fourth wave. It's only made things worse by taking the government's eye off the ball. That's not leadership. It's self-interest. 
and it's Justin Trudeau through and through, regardless of the damage it does to our country. That's why he'll promise anything, so long as he thinks it will buy him some votes. That's why he'll threaten anything if he doesn't get his way. Don't believe me? Ask Jody Wilson-Raybould. The SNC-Lavalin scandal shredded Mr. Trudeau's reputation as a feminist, as a proponent of reconciliation, as someone we could trust to know the difference between right and wrong. Over the coming days, we must decide whether or not we want to reward Justin Trudeau for breaking his promise and calling an unnecessary $600 million election in the middle of a pandemic. $424 million being borrowed every day. More spending, more borrowing, more debt, multiple ethical investigations and cover-ups. Soaring prices for houses, for food, for lumber, for childcare. Six years of inaction, of empty promises, of doing the bare minimum and then asking Canadians to be thankful that he even tried. Six years of ignoring the fact that life is getting harder from coast to coast. Six years of promising everything and delivering nothing but more debt and nothing to show for it. Six years of underfunding our healthcare system. Six years of ruining our economy so we can't afford the doctors, the nurses, and our healthcare professionals. Six years of show. Six years of inaction. Six years of letting Canadians down again and again and again. All right, that is uh, Aaron O'Toole on the campaign trail today, uh, taking a different tone, a little bit more aggressive against the prime minister, and immediately the prime minister playing the victim, saying, you know, throwing sticks and stones and, and, and you know, um, uh, chastising his character. And it's amazing how the prime minister can play the victim in the middle of an election campaign that he called that nobody wanted. It's It's just amazing. <laughs> how we are where we are and one week to, uh, left to go it is certainly going to get a lot more heated good afternoon it is hamilton today i'm scott thompson it is 421 a uh, poll question of the day asking you safe zones around hospitals should they be set up 76 percent are saying yes all right as i mentioned out on the campaign trail uh things are starting to heat up also a new book by jody wilson raybold has uh, hit the stands not very flattering for uh, the prime minister as well or is that old stuff just retreating uh, will it have any effect whatsoever? Let's bring in Daniel Ballant, James McGill, Professor of Political Science, Director of the McGill Institute for the Study of Canada with McGill University, and is with us now. Daniel, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, and you? Good, thank you. I'm not sure if you've seen any of the news conferences uh, today, but things have uh, gotten a little more heated as we get to the last week of the election campaign. Are you surprised? No, absolutely not. Uh, looking at the polls, it's still a tight race, even if now the Liberals, I think, have uh, you know, regained some of the ground that they had lost during the first few weeks of the campaign. So I think that uh, during the last stretch uh, last week, I think uh, it, will, um, it will be a real battle and, and a lot of uh, attacks against the various leaders. So uh, I expect uh, a lot of action over the next uh, seven days. Do we know what an issue is? Has there become a front issue here, uh, any other than a wedge issue and things we've talked about for the last several decades? Yes, that's a good question. You know, what's the main, the main, you know, people talk about the ballot question or why do we have this campaign and what, what's at stake? Uh, I, I think it's, it's still not entirely clear. Um, we have a lot of issues on, on, uh, on the table. Um, the, the prime minister wants to make that really about... Uh, the management of the COVID crisis and using vaccination as a wedge issue. The conservatives 
uh, now attacking, of course, about integrity and honesty and also trying to, um, to show that they are an alternative to the liberals and that uh, they, they really have uh, um, policy ideas that uh, could really uh, make a difference in the lives of Canadians. But right now, I, I don't see, um, you know, a clear rational in terms of what, what the ballot question is. Uh, what about Jody Wilson's Raybould book, which is supposed to uh, land tomorrow, uh, Indian in the Cabinet? Uh, there's excerpts that have come out over the weekend uh, uh, alleging that uh, the Prime Minister was asking her to lie. That's how she interpreted it. Uh, will this will this book have any sort of impact, or is this already built in, as the Prime Minister says? Have we already covered this? Well, we debated that uh, story back in 2019. Of course, it was before... Uh, long before this book uh, came out, but it's it, it's still the SNC Lavalin affair. It's been basically, uh, you know, it's been discussed for two and a half years right now. I mean, the original story came uh, about this came in the Globe and Mail in early uh, 2019. That's a long time ago, and um, the the excerpt of the book that was published in the Globe and Mail on on Saturday, uh, you know, it's I think that. It's her side of the story, and I think that, you know, um, many people probably have read this piece, and if they had a negative opinion uh, of the prime minister, it probably reinforce it. Uh, otherwise, I'm not sure this will have really changed that many minds. But the timing of the, the publication of the book later this week, during the last week of the campaign, is not, not an accident. There was a piece in the National Post, and it was, I think, titled The Revenge of Ju- uh, Judy Wilson-Raybould. I'm not sure if she will actually succeed in hurting uh, the liberals uh, uh, in, in the polls uh, with the publication of this book. It remains to be seen whether people, um, you know, are still want to talk about uh, something that has been discussed for uh, two and a half years now. Uh, that being said, uh, the Lib- <laughs> I shouldn't say this, but the liberals seem to do that on a daily basis when they're talking about about abortion and things that were settled years ago. Yeah. Uh, during the uh, debate, Annemi Paul, uh, obviously vocal about Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott and how they were inspirational to her. Another name, Selena uh, Caesar uh, Shabanas, came out and said that she was actually going to vote, former liberal MP, going to vote conservative. Does any of this resonate with the feminist movement of this party? Well, I think it's when you have a, um, a minority woman uh, who speak against a prime minister who, you know, uh, was elected, uh, well, became prime minister in 2015, uh, you know, or in this, you know, when he was talking about sunny ways and about diversity and about, uh, you know, being a feminist prime minister. It, it doesn't look good when you have uh, a woman where uh, in his uh, cabinet or caucus, uh, who've left the boat and, and are not happy uh, uh, with his leadership style and come out swinging and criticizing him during the last week of the campaign. It, it cannot be good optics. The question, what we already, you know, we have known about their grievances for a long time. So again, will it change a lot of minds at the last minute? Uh, it's hard to, hard to say. What, uh, what, Daniel, are you expecting in the next seven days? Well, I'm expecting really, uh, I will not say a bloodbath, but certainly a very, very aggressive campaigning on both sides. You know, the liberals, we are really far from the, 
the the sunny ways that I mentioned earlier. It's more mm-hmm. the stormy ways, and they are really using wedge issues uh, like gun control and abortion, and of course COVID vaccination against the conservatives. Uh, the the now uh, Erin O'Toole is is uh, although he has tried so far to run a relatively you know. Uh, uh, kind of Zen campaign, moderate campaign, and 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 positive campaign. I think he's he will also go on the attack against the prime minister, uh, going back to issues like you know SNC Lavalin affair, but also we charity and, and and direct attacks against the prime minister. I, I don't think he has much of a choice right now because the last week uh, of the campaign and the conservatives have have lost some points in the polls uh, recently, so uh, they they will have to really. Um, Go on the offensive. Uh, only about 30 seconds left. What about the NDP seeing a slight dip here? Yeah, so it's, it's tough for the NDP. When we start to think that there is a real choice between the conservatives and the liberals, the liberals say, oh, vo- vote for us, not for the NDP, because if you divide the votes on the left, the conservatives will win. And there are quite a few people who seem to be swayed by that argument, which is about strategic voting, really. Um, we'll see uh, wh- what will happen on September 20th, but uh, if the NDP keeps keep sliding in the polls, it's good for the Liberals. Danielle Ballon with us, James McGill, Professor of Political Science at McGill University. Daniel, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too, and enjoy the rest of the campaign. Uh, unbelievable what has happened. And does anybody know why we're having an election? Uh, so we can fight over mandatory vaccine. What else do you want to have an election over? So we can fight over issues we've solved 20, 30 years ago. I uh, just want to talk self-fear. What do, you, what, what do we have an election for? Anybody know? My goodness. Uh, all right. The phone lines are open, as I mentioned. Peter's on the line. Peter, what are your thoughts? Well, I didn't even call about this, but the reason we're having an election is because Justin Trudeau looked at the polls a few months ago, saw himself in a situation where he could stand to win a majority government, and he got greedy, and that's why the election is called. He wanted to win a majority, but he's not going to win a majority, and hopefully he will lose in the same way as good old Joe Clark got greedy, called an election after being prime minister for nine months, and lost. Now, hopefully Trudeau will get what is due him. But I didn't call about that. What I was asked to call about was to point out that these whack-job protesters who are outside of the hospitals, who call themselves the Canadian frontline nurses, are not nurses. They are fakes. They are imposters. But it's now let's uh, wait a second. Let, let, let's confirm that this group was initially started by nurses, but let's not assume that they represent nurses. Fair enough. They probably have a couple nurses on staff, but essentially it is a disinformation campaign, and yes. they are purporting to be nurses, and they're trying to build their credibility by appearing to be nurses, but in fact they're really just protesters and they're not nurses. And they're not endorsed by any of the nursing uh, associations here in Ontario or anywhere in Canada. So just because you call yourself a nurse don't mean you are one. Uh, So why do you think they are choosing hospitals to protest at? Because if you're looking for supporters... Even if you agree with them, I'm not sure this is the right angle. Like, do you have any, what thoughts do you have about why they would possibly protest at a hospital? Well, you're speaking as a rational man, and as we all know, <laughs> common sense isn't all that common. 
So it makes no sense whatsoever because every nurse and every doctor is in favor of vaccinations. And indeed, these are the people who will rescue your stupid backside should you choose not to get vaccinated and end up sick with COVID. So it, it makes no sense whatsoever that they would protest there. Perhaps they choose the location because this is where nurses hang out and they're trying to pretend that they're nurses and they're trying to pretend that they are credible. I don't know. How do you fathom the unfathomable? But the bottom line is when it comes to anti-vaxxers, you can't fix stupid. There you go. All right, Peter. Thanks for the call. Uh, much appreciated. 905-645-3221. Start 9900 on your cell uh, if you want to uh, voice your opinion. It, it just seems uh, bizarre. And it's, you know, we've people have done research on into this group, as, as Peter was saying. Uh, you know, it started as, you know, a, a couple of nurses, and then it's just uh, taken off from there and brought in every fringe extremist group that you can imagine traveling from city to city uh, doing this with, uh, y- you know, literally extremists on both sides of the political spectrum. I'm not sure what this is for other than to create anarchy and disruption, because if you were looking for credibility in all of this, I mean, you're going to stand up and say you're more credible than all of these doctors and nurses and such. It, it just doesn't seem to make some, uh, much sense. Obviously, last week of the campaign stuff, uh, things are starting to heat up on the campaign. We saw that between the Prime Minister and Aaron O'Toole a little earlier today. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, who's seen his support uh, diminish a little bit in the last uh, couple of days, maybe support going from the NDP to the Liberals. Uh, this is what Jagmeet Singh had to say in regard to housing. People end up paying the price for these broken promises. They're not just broken promises in a vacuum. When Mr. Trudeau promised to tackle the cost of housing, the reality is when he doesn't do anything, the price of housing goes up. And since he's taken office to present, the national average cost of housing has gone up by $300,000. That means more and more people will never have the ability to own a home. We know that rent's gone up astronomically. That means more and more people can't find a place to call home. When Mr. Trudeau promised to bring in Pharmacare, something that we passionately believe in, by breaking that promise, that's hundreds of dollars a year that families could have saved, in some cases thousands of dollars, that families end up having to pay. And it it costs. These broken promises cost families who are struggling with the the price of their medication. The fact they need to purchase it and that that would have been covered in a Pharmacare program. And the fact that it's not there means they're paying the price. Mr. Trudeau promised to reduce the cost of cell phone and internet fees. He said it would it would have saved a thousand dollars. He made that promise two years ago. Well, that's two thousand dollars that families could have saved. But again, he broke that commitment. It's completely abandoned, and families continue to pay the price of cell phone and internet fees, which are amongst the most expensive in the world. All right, that is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh on the campaign trail today, uh, taking aim at the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister also getting it from Aaron O'Toole uh, a little earlier on today. And uh, the Prime Minister recoiling and saying that people are t- attacking him and making it personal. It absolutely amazes me to no end that someone can call an election and then play 
a victim, that these people are against them, and all of these protesters are what you're going to have if you don't vote for the Prime Minister. Uh, it's amazing how the sunny ways have turned to fear-mongering as we still try to figure out exactly why the heck we are in the midst of a federal election. I did not want her to lie. I would never do that. I would never ask her that. That is simply not true. Um, these issues that were brought up uh, have been talked about over the past couple of years now. They've been studied out in committee, the Globe and others have written on them extensively. They were fully looked at before the last election. But it does make me reflect on the fact that as you do big things, as you work hard for Canadians, over the years, you end up carrying a number of things. And I can't help but think as well about all the good things, all the big things that we were able to accomplish together, whether it's on fighting climate change, on medical assistance in dying, on reconciliation where there's absolutely lots more to do. And my focus throughout the past six years, as Canadians know, has always been on fighting for Canadians, on doing big things for people. And that's exactly what I'm going to stay focused on and fighting for. All right, that's uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau talking about uh, reacting to excerpts that were published by the Globe and Mail over the weekend. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's book, Indian in the Cabinet. Uh, Wilson-Raybould said that during those conversations, Trudeau was pushing her to lie about uh, his team and how the uh, SNC-Lavalin situation uh, has handled all of this. She says, quote, I knew what he was really asking, what he was saying. In that moment, I knew he wanted me to lie to attest uh, what had occurred and what had not occurred. And, of course, you heard uh, the response to that as a result from uh, the Prime Minister. Let's bring in Jeffrey Dvorkin, senior fellow, Massey College, former director of journalism at the University of Toronto Scarborough and author of Trusting the News in a Digital Age and is with us now. Jeff, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am well, and I hope you are too. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, your thoughts on the publication of this book, obviously, the week before the election. It is uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's account of the SNC-Lavalin affair, which, as the Prime Minister said, uh, happened a while ago. Does this still have wings? Does this matter at all to this campaign? You know, I've wondered that myself, and the timing is everything in politics and show business, as we know. Uh, why this would be published just before the election uh makes me wonder what uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould's motivation is. Did she feel that this could somehow turn the election in a certain way? Is this a little bit of uh, uh, late-timed revenge? Um, it's kind of hard to figure out, but it's, I don't think it's going to have that much of an influence. I think people's intention of how they are going to vote is already nailed in right now uh, maybe this might influence a few people who were thinking of voting or voting against the liberals and voting for the ndp it might have might have connected with them but in the end i i think it was uh it's kind of old news frankly 
Uh, the fact that he's saying what she's saying is false, does that matter anymore? Um, I suppose it does at a certain level. Um, if there were ever to be a further inquiry into what happened, uh, which would be something that would happen in the U.S. and less so in, in Canada, I think, maybe it might, it might have a, it might have a role to play. But I think that it's, it's, as they say, a day late and a dollar short. I don't think this is going to have much impact at all. Uh, one week out of this election, it seems that the tone is changing. Uh, uh, O'Toole, Aaron O'Toole, conservative leader, ramped up uh, his message today. The prime minister already responding to that. Uh, a, a, a much different tone than sunny ways. Oh, for sure. And I think that this, uh, you know, the, the politicians can read the polls as much as anybody. They know that it's going to be a tight race. It could go either way. At this point, they're probably hoping for some uh, wedge issue to influence enough voters to turn the election their way. But what either outcome looks like, if the polls are right, and sometimes actually sometimes they are, um, that it's going to be a minority government, either probably a liberal minority government or possibly a Tory minority government. Either way, it's going to be quite a night a week from tonight has this been an election without an issue many have said there's no reason to call it uh we're, we're talking about things we've been fighting about for my goodness decades it seems there's nothing new here uh, what's the issue the issue is outside of the election actually in my opinion i think the issue is can we have a proper discussion of the issues while there's a pandemic going on what is the motivation for calling an election during this pandemic? Was this an attempt by the Liberals to think that when they committed to having the election, which was back in July, when the COVID rates seemed to have settled down into something more or less manageable, then suddenly in August and now in September, those numbers have gone up again. Um, these are the things that I think are on seem to be on people's minds. And, and you look at the demonstrations outside hospitals in Vancouver and Toronto, people are in a, in a different state of mind right now. And I think that that's having more of an impact on the election than any of the issues that the politicians have tried to say are the important issues. I think people are, there was a, a headline uh, in the Toronto Star about a week ago, why are we all so angry? And I think this is the election of the angry voters, and we're going to see the results of that in a week. Uh, do you expect any surprises in the next seven days? Um, n- not that I can tell. I think one of the interesting things to watch will be the People's Party of Canada. Their numbers are slowly going up, at whose expense is the question I have. I think that they're going to be taking votes away from conservatives in some parts of the country. And what's interesting is also the late rise of the NDP, which always happens in the last week of the last few elections. Uh, the NDP has kind of surged because there's a sense of uh, a pox on both their houses. I'm voting for the NDP. And we're going to see that out, out west, certainly in British Columbia, and even in, in and around Edmonton, my hometown, which uh, used to be known as Redmonton because it was more left-wing than Calgary. 
And I hmm. think they're going to win some seats in, in, in around the Edmonton area. Jeffrey Borkin with us, senior fellow at Massey College, former director of journalism at the University of Toronto Scarborough and author of Trusting the News in a Digital Age. Jeff, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right. uh, Obviously, this is just uh, astounding. And I'm sorry. uh, This is extremism on the left and the right. Uh, it's not it's 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 not one p- political party as if some would lead you to believe uh, it's extremists on either ends of the spectrum here. And I find it just absolutely astounding that these same people who were praising at the beginning of the campaign and standing outside and banging pots and pans for we now have a few people who have mobilized themselves, who are from other parts of the country and travel from place to place to place and do these sorts of, of protests. It's just, it, it's it's bizarre when you think about it. And, um, you know, it just adds to the complication which we are seeing. Uh, physicians with Ham- uh, Hamilton Health Sciences say they're frustrated, uh, not only uh, about all this, but the increase in hospitalizations among those that are uh, unvaccinated and what we are starting to see already in Hamilton is them trying are trying to do this without canceling sur- surgeries and it looks like it's got to that point again uh, cardiologist and ICU physician dr. Craig Ainsworth says that well uh, there are fewer overall covid-19 patients being admitted to hospital during this wave almost all of them are unvaccinated and it's because of the lack of available staff he says that's leading to more surgeries being canceled on a daily basis listen to this Generally, we have four to six cardiac surgical um, cases booked every day, and all cardiac surgery cases got cancelled on on Friday because of lack of ICU resources. And even the nurses who are still around are are burned out big time. And so, I think the fact that you know the nurses are always going to look after patients as as best they can i think it just adds another layer when a lot of the stuff they're seeing are is is essentially preventable we just don't have the slack or the the resources to to manage even the smaller numbers we have right now so most definitely because of primarily lack of nursing staff and allied allied health supports um surgeries are getting cancelled right now there you have it. So, uh, you know, and that was the issue during the, the first and second waves. It's not a case of how many are getting sick. It's not a case of how many dying. It's how many uh, of these people are clogging up uh, ICUs and hospitals and prevent other people from getting their surgery. And here we are again. So uh, not only is there a segment of the population that is leading the fourth wave by not getting vaccinated, there's also a segment of that population which feels the need to go out and protest out in front of a hospital where they're trying to care for people and they're already fried because they've been doing this for like a year and a half. It's just absolutely insane when you think about it. Like, how did this country become so divided? You know, I, I mean, again, and, you know, we're spending more time talking about and we're going to have the uh, Canadian Medical Association on to talk about this because they're ticked because all they're hearing about is debates over mandatory vaccines or hearing about protests and none of the issues 
that uh, they want to see on the table are even being discussed in the middle of this election that absolutely nobody wanted. All right, a new survey commissioned by the Canadian Medical Association confirms that a bold commitment to health care will win vote supports in this election. Six out of ten Canadians stating the political party that prioritizes the health of all Canadians will earn their vote. To talk about this, the election, uh, issues that should be there and are not, and of course protesting, let's bring in Dr. Ann Collins, past president of the Canadian Medical Association and is with us now. Doctor, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. You know, considering where we, what we've been in the last year and a half, I honestly did think that this election campaign would take a bit, you know, would have a bit more substance to it. And, you know, instead of talking about health care and where we've been and where we need to go, it seems we're still arguing about vaccinations and, and anti-vax protests and such. Are the issues that you're concerned about, are they making it to the election campaign? Well, sadly, uh, we're not hearing much about that, Scott. Um, and uh, there is no question that uh, this fourth wave of the pandemic just keeps on highlighting um, all the issues and, and problems that we're seeing with our healthcare system. Uh, and, and sadly, now we're talking about a broken system. So there, there is lots to be done here, um, and we're not hearing about it. It's bizarre that we're talking about the results of and protests and, and unhappy people, but we're not talking about solutions. That's a very valid point. So what are the concerns that should be uh, front and center on this election campaign? What are From the Canadian Medical Association standpoint, what should we be hearing? Well, we should be hearing about, uh, you know, planning and, and, and better projecting for our health care workforce. Um, we also are hearing nine out of ten Canadians uh, have said that there should be increased funding for our health system. It's been chronically underfunded, and that's led, of course, to many of the challenges that we're seeing now with the uh, the pandemic. Um, we need better planning, uh, better management. Look, we've got sitting on shelves uh, multiple studies, multiple commissions that have been um, uh, taken place over many years uh, within our, our federal system. Uh, many of them contain many solutions. Not much of those were, was acted upon. Canadians now see they've had a, a bird's eye view into the difficulties within our healthcare system, and and they want it fixed. We're we're not looking for improvements. We're looking for major sustained fixes. Are you worried that in the last week of this campaign, the politics takes over and it's le- it's more about what's happened and less about the solution? Well, look, first of all, what we're asking for clearly is that the politics be be taken out of this. Uh, we're we're in dire straits, um, and and we need strong leadership here, um, not just to get us through this pandemic, but we've got a whole lot of issues that need to be dealt with post-pandemic and the backlog of um, um, surgeries and other medical care is really just the tip of the iceberg there. We're already hearing, we uh, we heard a report today from a Hamilton ICU doctor that said they had to cancel surgeries, heart surgeries, uh, this past week due to the uh, lack of uh, of staff to take uh, over the ICU because it's starting to fill up again with unvaccinated 
patients. Uh, do, do you think Canadians realize still the place that we're in? And even though the majority of us are fully vaccinated, there's still some issues here that we seem to be ignoring. Uh, absolutely. And and I think uh, that, that a good point in all of this is that, yes, um, a great majority of Canadians have had two vaccines, but not enough Canadians have had two vaccines. And, and so what we're seeing is uh, hindering here and burdening on the healthcare system by something that is now we know preventable. I live in New Brunswick, 122 new cases announced today. 86% of those people were not vaccinated. So that's something that it, that's clear. That's clear and concise information. It's true information. And, and so we need Canadians. And if there's anybody listening that's on the fence, please go and get those vaccines because that's what is burdening the system right now and, and the trickle down effect to those that are waiting cardiac surgery or waiting cancer surgery. Um, that's what's blocking them from, from getting to that point. And are you uh, not only greatly disappointed, but how, how astounded are you that we're seeing these protests? I mean, at the beginning of this pandemic, people were standing out on their porches and, and on their balconies and banging pots and pans at 7 o'clock at night in honor of the frontline workers and the healthcare workers. Now you've got, and let's be honest here, this is a very, very small percentage of, of fringe uh, supporters on either side that just don't buy into any of this. But how is, talk about the protests and how this is distracting from what exactly you're talking about. It's a distraction, but it's also discouraging. Uh, if you're a healthcare worker that's inside that facility and you for the last uh, 19 months have been seeing the burden of this disease acting as family, pseudo-family to people whose families cannot get in to see them. Um, and now you're uh, confronted with uh, uh, some fear, some anxiety of, uh, of getting into your building. It makes absolutely no sense. And every person that's part of that anti-vaxxer or protest group, either they or someone close to them, if not today, certainly tomorrow or sometime in the future, is going to need that facility. They're going to need that care. And those people inside are doing their very best that they can in a broken system to care and, and will care for them uh, should they ever need to go through those doors. So it, it, it is discouraging, but you're right. We can't be distracted about it. We need strong leadership to to encourage Canadians uh, to do whatever levers or use whatever levers to get people vaccinated. Dr. Ann Collins with us, past president of the Canadian Medical Association, a new survey uh, of Canadians by the CMA, 6 out of 10, looking for uh, strong representation in regard to health care and some of these issues addressed and uh, concerned that in the last week here, those issues are not being addressed. And thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks, Scott. You too. Dr. Ann Collins, past president of the Canadian Medical Association. Uh, Dave is on the line. Dave, what are your thoughts? Um, thanks for having me on. I'm so upset. I'm just, I think these people that are protesting at hospitals is just terrible. Yeah. I mean, those people working at the hospitals are trying to save lives. These people are protesting about something that I think it's just ridiculous. Like your, your, your speaker you had on there earlier 
saying this is preventable. And now people that actually need surgeries can't get it done. I think it's just god awful. And I, I, the way the country's going and with the elections and all that stuff, it is just awful. It is just awful. I don't know and where you, this world's going to. And, and, you know, like this is a very, very, very small segment of the population. The majority of, of us have already been vaccinated twice. Uh, so, you know, I, I ask myself, like, what do you why would you protest at a hospital of all places where there's people yeah. in there that are dying or getting help uh, or what have you? I mean, g- go find your local political uh, party office headquarters, uh, go to a civic square, go to Queens Park, go to the hill, go wherever. But to do it in front of a hospital just seems exactly. bananas. I mean, you go to a hospital for help and the last thing you need to, is uh, a bunch of people protesting at a hospital. Yeah, I think it's god-awful. It shows you what a divided country we have become. Why yeah. is that? Why are we, where's the sunny ways? What has happened to the sunny ways? Why are we so divided? Uh, thanks for the call. Much appreciated. Don't forget the phone lines are always open. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Scott Radley takes over uh, after 6 o'clock in the news and such. Good afternoon, Scott. How are you today? I am great. You know where I first, that's Corey Hart, of course, who sang that song coming in. You know where I first heard that song? It was hilarious. I had done a summer of volunteer work in Korea, and we were having a week or a few days of vacation, and I walk into the Ambassador Hotel in Hong Kong, and Corey Hart is playing on the, and everybody over there was completely by this idea, these lyrics, just the repetitive lyrics, but I guess it worked okay for him. I guess if you keep it simple, it works. But um, that, and that song has never gone you know, away since. It's amazing you could be over at an exotic place like that, and the only thing you can think of is Corey Hart. It was because That's the memory that sticks for you. I was a 16-year-old, and the shock that a Canadian with such limited talent was making it so big in the other part of the world was what stood out. Nice. You know, I saw a recent interview... Uh, with Corey Hart, my recent, I mean, in the last year or so. And, you know, here was a real smart guy. Like, he realized his shelf life was only so great. Uh, he banked his money. He had a, uh, you know, has a great family and now just is, you know, mildly, uh, mildly involved in the music business, gets in and out, and he's living the life of Riley. And I think a year or so ago, he actually went out on tour and did prior to COVID and actually did some like, uh, you know, greatest hit shows and people went nuts for him. It's like he went in and he made his money and got the heck out. He's, he's laughing. He's still got all his coin. There are a few of those Canadian acts from back yeah. in the day that have done that. I, I, the year of the hundredth great cup, if Ted's sitting there, he'd remember the year that was in Toronto. I can't remember what year that was. Um, anyway, uh, walking along front street, they had a big great cup party. And Platinum Blonde was playing in this little band shell. Yeah. There you and go. I'll tell you there what, you they, are no, they should no longer be allowed to use Platinum Blonde. They should be Platinum Skin Tone. They had as much hair as I did. <laughs> and it was like, all right, all that's, right. that's different. That's different. <laughs> should have put the sunglasses down like Corey did. All right, there let's move on. Uh, the election is uh, definitely changing. The tone is changing today. We played some clips of Jugmeet Singh and Aaron O'Toole. They've, they've torqued it up another notch. Uh, and it, it, you know, it amazes me how the prime minister can all of a sudden take an election that nobody wanted, that he called for his own, for his own majority, and now he's playing the victim. Like everybody 
everybody's protesting me. Everybody's yelling at me. Everybody's uh, da 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 da. And, and you know, he's painted every protester as the opposite of him. So if you don't elect me, you're going to get all these wacky protesters, and that's going to be your life for the next four years. It's amazing how he spun this, and and, and he's the victim here. Scott, you've you've watched. Everyone listening has watched. You've watched these film clips of these protests at various spots. How many people would you estimate? How many protesters are out at any one of these things? A couple hundred? Sure, maybe. Maybe? Maybe? And that is supposed to be representative of the country? That's supposed to be representative of anybody who has a different opinion? Come on. I mean, look. And the Toronto and the Toronto Star has already done reports on these on uh, these people that go from place to place to place. They're from all over the place. They just follow the train and go wherever the protest is. And they protested every you know. They protested Ford. They protest Lecce. They protest Trudeau. It's all the same people. Beyond that, go look up. People should look this up because I found it fascinating. McLean's wrote a piece, and I can't remember who the um, research was done by. It wasn't done by McLean's. They just reported on this. The typical person in this country, according to the reporting, the typical average person who has not had their vaccine or is very hesitant about getting their vaccine is not the loopy, crazy, right-winging, gravel-throwing, screaming maniac. It's a 40-year-old woman who is inclined to vote liberal. That's the the other thing, too, is you see so many people, because they use this from the United States, because one party said it was a fake thing, and the other party said get vaccinated, and they're trying to paint Canada's the same way. Well, let's be honest. The vaccine hesitancy, the anti-vaxxer movement, started on the left. And this is not about left and right. It's extremes on both sides that are fueling this. And and the sad part is, is when you get politicians say, well, it's like Jugmeet Singh comes out and says, well, it's the alt-right. Well, the only people that say that are those on the alt-left. And the only one that talk about the alt-left are those on the alt-right. So, again, at the end of the day, it, 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 they're, they're, all they're doing is fueling the fire here. It, it, the solution's in the center. There is a piece in the Toronto Star, and you can read it at thespec.com. It's on there. And I thought it was really interesting because, you know, most people would say the Toronto Star is not a right-wing paper. No. And this article, this column says, you know, depending, doesn't really matter what happens over the next few days, whether we get a liberal minority, a conservative minority. What's been happening here by the prime minister, not the prime minister, he's not the prime minister right now. He's the incumbent, I guess. Um, what's happening is this country is getting more and more divided. And Big it doesn't time. matter who ends up governing you are going to have a more difficult time governing because you have called anyone who disagrees with you. They could be wingnuts, but they could also have legitimate concerns. You have called them idiots, maniacs, crazies, extremists. We don't know how to agree. We don't know how to agree to disagree anymore. It's like, I'm right. You're wrong. We don't. and, And on that point, it's not just about disagreeing. There was a time, Scott, when you and I could vigorously disagree. But that didn't make you evil, and it didn't make me evil. Now, if you disagree with someone on this point, they're not just someone with whom you have a different opinion. They are a bad person. They are a person who wants badness for this country. They want people hurt. They want people to die. That's the position that we hear all the time. That's a really dangerous position to take if you are then going to turn around a week from now and say, I'm here to heal the country and bring us together. Good luck with that. Has the Prime Minister united or divided this country in the last six years? 
you tell me how he's united us. I agree. I, I've, I've yet to see the thing. We hear that he's a uniter, but I don't see the evidence that there's any uniting going on. Now, that's it. That's not just him. Trump probably was not yep. seen by many as a uniter. I don't know that Joe Biden is being seen as a uniter. He's calling people crazy. I don't know that Kamala Harris is being seen as a uniter. I don't know who the leader is right now who's the uniter. And the reason is because to get elected, you have to divide. And then what do you yeah. do when you're not elected? Now you've got a soiled bed. Yeah, exactly. You know what? If we end up with another minority, minority government, especially a, my, the exact same government that we have, people will be ticked. If we end up, if we spend $600 million to end up in the exact same place, people would be ticked. All right, we got like uh, 20 seconds. Who you got coming up? What do you want to plug? Well, we're talking about this at 6.30. We're talking with Nick Nanos from the Nanos polling. Uh, some weird yep. numbers coming out after the debate. Every analyst said Trudeau didn't have a good night, and yet somehow it's to have gone up. That's, that's strategy. Be horrible in a debate, and people will somehow have sympathy I know. on you. I don't get it. Uh, we're talking about a huge move to get people to boycott the Olympics. Hundreds of uh, groups from around the world now pushing for a boycott. It's really interesting in Beijing. All right. Scott Radley show tonight coming up. And, of course, read him in your Hamilton Spectator. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will. Thanks to Ted. Thanks to Diana for all helping today. Greatly appreciated. As we always do on Hamilton today, we leave it to you, the great listener to get up on top of the CHML soapbox and have the last word. These whack-job protesters who call themselves the Canadian frontline nurses are not nurses. They probably have a couple nurses on staff, but just because you call yourself a nurse don't mean you are one. But the bottom line is, when it comes to anti-vaxxers, you can't fix stupid. (laughs) 